Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. The desert, in this case the Mojave Desert, but heard and appreciated, we hope, in all the American deserts. Because this is the radio show where they're always talking about the deserts. I know. I am aware of the parameters of the job. I got this correspondence from somebody in, let's say, San Diego. She says, Dear Desert Oracle, I like the show, but it's always about how the desert's so great. And that's not true. She adds, underlined for emphasis, the desert sucks. But I do like the show. Usually, people add, oh, I, I like to fall asleep to the show. Which is really one of those Rodney Dangerfield kind of things. I didn't know that still happened. But I'm not going to lie to you, the desert is not for everyone. It's not for most of the people who live in the desert. And especially those big desert cities full of golf courses and Costco's and foreclosure estates with names like Adobe Falls. Adobe Falls Estates. resident Jason P. Woodbury on the phone and we're trying to be less romantic about the desert which we love anyway so this this uh, listener says I like the show but I don't care for all the kind of desert propaganda because I'm familiar with these places and you know they're all garbage well, yeah and I thought well those are uh, pretty big britches to be wearing in San Diego you know <laughs> but so be it sure 
And I'd, I'd rather San Diego have three million residents than, say, uh, the Mojave. Yeah. Well, right. So he's talking about desert, like these desert towns. There, this person is talking about des- desert towns not being up to snuff. It's hard. It's hard to tell what people really mean. Sure. Because sure. language. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, yeah. and it written the written the written word is almost totally meaningless at this point. As long as you believe that the written word that you're consuming is written by somebody whose views on hundreds of irrelevant to the subject at hand topics matches your own, then you'll think you understand it. Mm-hmm. And if any of those factors aren't lined up, you don't, you know, you miss the whole thing. So I felt like it was probably a combination of I don't like the climate or you're over romanticizing it, to which I would say I've I've romanticized everything I've ever enjoyed in my life. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, but also I think that you could probably make a fairly solid argument that you have not shied away from the less than savory aspects of the desert and the communities therein, you know? Uh, I, that, but that's but that's part of it, right? That's part of the draw of the place. I believe it's part of it. And you can't you can't have everybody live out there. It takes a certain type. And that type is potentially armed and potentially murderous. It depends. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. And they every every desert place has its cliched people. Uh, right. This would be fun. Let's do this. Let's let's. Uh, I'll give you a desert place, and you tell me a cliche about the kind of people who are going to be encountered there, or a uh, a general negative opinion of it, and then throw me a desert place. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think I think I could ride with this. All right, Tempe, Arizona. Tempe, Arizona. Well, the cliche has got to be that you're going to encounter some sort of frat boy type who competitively pounds beer bongs and and has intense opinions about beer pong. You'll run into a lot of not-so-great stereotypical bro types in in Tempe, Arizona. We talking Um, about kind of like a a guy in flip-flops and board shorts? Sort of like a loud angry, sometimes belligerent type. So you, you, you run into a lot of people like that in Tempe. I lived in Tempe until only a couple couple years ago when we bought our house in, in Phoenix. We technically lived in Tempe. You know, a long there time, I don't know, a long time ago, a, I was at uh, the Republican National Convention in St. Paul, Minnesota covering, I believe it was, uh, oh, his old walnuts. Uh, your your former senator, John McCain, was yeah. uh, the, the candidate. And that's who they came up with to run against the young, you know, vibrant Barack Obama. They got old walnuts up there. And I made it a habit every evening, sometimes starting around 1 p.m., to go to this Irish pub right outside the security zone. It was very easy to get to. And I met and became friends with the then mayor of Tempe, Mm. who took to joining a bunch of political bloggers 
I guess he wasn't well connected. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we drank Jameson and Guinness and, and watched whatever was going on on stage on the, the sports, the soccer big screens inside the pub. And he was actually a very intelligent and interesting guy outside of his kind of political parameters, which is incredibly true of everyone. And I keep thinking of uh, this interview I saw a while back with Norm MacDonald. And Norm MacDonald says, I'm just so tired of having to have an opinion everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely, it definitely frees you up a little bit when you decide... I'm not going to engage with this. I don't yeah. need to. Nobody needs me to engage with it. So maybe it's best if I sit this. I've been finding myself on Twitter. I've just been thinking about the reminding myself. I don't have to have an opinion on anything. No, 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 no. Is I don't have to have an opinion on on the bunny in Space Jam Two. That's not something that I need to no. towards. You know, it's, and it's it's, it's a freeing, free it's a freeing your thing. All right, give me a place. Give me a desert place. Any state, any place. I'd love to hear you talk about Albuquerque. Albuquerque has a reputation as sort of the ugly stepbrother of Santa Fe, which to me gives Albuquerque a, a lot more sort of soul. Because yeah. Santa Fe is a, mostly a pretty expensive place, which, while I find it very beautiful and I enjoy it when I'm there, I often also feel like I'm on a cruise ship. Like, who sure, are, sure. look at all these retirees just kind of lounging about in the plaza, and that's great. I'm glad that they can afford such a, a nice life, and it seems to be a hospitable environment. If you can afford to sit in any of those places. Right. But Albuquerque tends to not have such of the heavy hand of zoning and architectural controls. And it has a reputation as more of a working class, salt of the earth kind of thing. So in the case of Albuquerque, especially... Is sort of famous for eight of nine cars around you in the process of falling apart all at the same stoplight. Right, right. Which is sometimes just a fantastic thing to see. And you'll look around and there are fenders and ladder racks and wheels and doors and things just in the process of coming off. And people are people have learned to vibe with it. If that was the scene, say, at a stoplight in Scottsdale, Arizona, you would have people... Yeah, you'd have people honking and pointing, like, your car's on fire, that kind of thing. (laughs) But you just kind of roll with it as long as you can continue rolling. So I would say that, especially (laughs) in terms of dive bars, uh, I have a real fondness for the casual decay and sort of rinky-dink, honky-tonk feel of, especially uh, pre-1980s fake Spanish architecture, Albuquerque, which tends to be more in the suburbs than in the city itself. 
Plus, you got that that great Neil Young song, Albuquerque, one of my favorites from Tonight's the Night, which is, it's got just the right amount of syllables for him to string along a whole melody with just saying the word Albuquerque. That is that's true. Some, that is something true. going. That's something going for it for sure. Let me ask you about Palm Springs. Palm Springs is a place that, on the surface, I I, I like I like Palm Springs. Let me say that. Let me put let me put it that way. I like going to Palm Springs. I like to spend. Uh, I like to spend time hanging out at the Ace Hotel. But when I am at the Ace Hotel, I'm definitely thinking about how I am either not cool enough to be there, or or perhaps by being there, I'm making the place not not cool itself. I've also run into, of course. A certain kind of desert tourist who is mostly interested in getting obliterated to the inoffensive sounds of an EDM DJ, uh, you know, in a, in a place like Palm Springs. And so that's a somewhat negative thing. Unless, of course, you end up in a conversation with them and you realize that just like everybody else who you're dismissing, they're far more interesting and compelling than you're giving them credit for. My wife, Becky, lived in Palm Springs and worked at the, the newspaper there for a few years. Right when she graduated college, the desert did a long, sun. The desert sun, indeed. She did lots of great work there, including an interview with Anthony Bourdain that I think I went looking for the other day and I couldn't find it, which indicates to me, like so often, you wonder where, where did that go? Where did that was such a good thing? Does it still exist? Does the I'm sure it does still exist somewhere, but I have to find it. And this is what I wonder about with the last year, for instance. There aren't there aren't any cool people anymore. You know this, right? I didn't. I don't. I, I haven't got the. I haven't got the memo. There are, this is good news for me. It's it's really true. I mean, cool. <laughs> you know, by by nature, cool people usually were in a community of cool people. Sure. So we don't. Since we haven't had any community for a year. And since there hasn't been anything that hasn't been out in the open over the internet during this time, the whole idea that somebody's doing something cooler than you has completely evaporated. Yeah, FOMO. FOMO is gone. Yeah. No one has done anything cooler than you. Nobody has been anywhere cooler than you. Nobody has seen any bands. Nobody has hung out. At a you know inside uh, bar in our part of the world anyway in a while, and so it's it's all over. And the people who and I don't blame them for it. I don't blame anybody who's been locked up all this time for wanting to get out. But the people you're going to see out over the next three six months with the most enthusiasm for it are like seventy five year old Costco members who are so excited to get back to the. The free samples at Costco. Yeah, or, uh, and then the Applebee's and uh, the... I think that's it. I think it's Costco and Applebee's. Costco and Applebee's are, are institutions. Are, are In 2021, those are those are the holy places. You know? Yeah, 
Like the, and, and Costco at least has remained open, but it's just a different kind of thing when you can't linger with 30 well, friends from your country club around the little hot dog handout place. A leisurely stroll down the, the, the flat screen aisle. Right. And you always yeah. meet people at the jug liquor aisle. You ever well, see that at Costco? Enormous. Oh, yeah. That's enormous. Job. It's like these, these guys in golf clothes, and God bless them. I look at them and think, how do I get that life? They've got the the giant cart and they're putting in these gallon bottles of decent whiskey and vodka and gin and everything else and yeah you you wonder you wonder where does the money come from yeah i don't i I, i'm not sure and is it hopefully they've still got access to all that money uh after the last year who knows but they probably do i think they do they're boomers they have they have all the money. That's that's why we have to continue. Us Gen Xers at, at yeah, debasing ourselves in uh, early and mid middle age. Give me a give me an Arizona one. Give you an Arizona one. All right. How about I pick one of my favorite places, Sedona. Oh my God, Sedona. I knew it was a loaded one. Sedona is one of those things that's like, what do you say? Sedona is like a vortex of intelligence, you know? (laughs) It all disappears as soon as you, you get there. Sedona is a place where you will meet a 68 year old vaxxer yoga instructor who has unicorns tattooed on her shoulders who will walk up to you while you're enjoying some tacos in a restaurant and start lecturing you on eating beef. Um, Sedona is the kind of place that new agers from around the world dream of going to and then when they get there they see that all the best parts are owned by John McCain and you can't have access unless you're uh, well, his heirs, I guess, Cindy McCain and Megan McCain and that whole delightful crew. Sedona. Wonderful, wonderful folks. Wonderful folks. One and all. <laughs> one of, it's really one of the top 60 or 70 uh, state beer distributorship owners in America. And, uh, yeah, and you, a- well, you get to Sedona and... The first thing you notice is, oh my God, it's more beautiful than the photographs. Yeah, it's, that's absolutely true. It's stunning. It looks like a, a dream planet. All yeah. these junipers and boulders and the red hills and the deep blue sky. And then yeah. you hear this. <laughs> that there are buzzing like flies, enormous flies, six or 12 or 20 tourist helicopters going in figure eights over Sedona, all the hiking areas all day long. That's right. Looking out for those vortexes. Yeah. Portals. You know, if there really was a vortex there and if there really were good spirits there, they would screw up the instruments of the helicopters and the helicopters would all plunge to the earth <laughs> into one of those new uh, housing developments at the edge of town that they keep tucking in between the remaining uh, kind of wild national forest land around there. Yeah. It, Sedona is really something. I don't think there's a place 
that I've spent much time in that has such a bewildering combination of sublime beauty and a pure, ancient feel to the place. And then just every tacky, selfish, nonsense, boomer bunch of garbage in you know, the history of, of the boomer half century just seems well, to, to mushroom there. I don't know if it's directly in Sedona. I think that in Sedona this is the case. Certainly in that part of the, the Verde Valley, you'll encounter, and this is a rare thing in our country, McDonald's that have been done up in uh, turquoise, sort of Santa Fe style situations. So, yes. so it's a place where even the, the McDonald's Corporation will lean in to the vibe. Um, well, they don't. I mean, <laughs> they they don't have a choice. The, the, those are. Uh, the coats. In, yeah, and Santa Fe was first on this in the 1980s. They started enforcing uh, Pueblo-style architecture. Right. And my first trip to Santa Fe was, I think, about 1984, 1983, something like that. And there was a Denny's that I went into to get some coffee and Grand Slam or something. And the Denny's was being reconfigured. So they were adding the the fake pinion poles to stick out, and they were made of fiberglass or something. And they were just stapling them on to the front of the regular Denny's. And then the stucco crew was going to come in afterwards and stucco around and make a facade. And I thought, this is just the stupidest thing I think I've ever seen. That the or the town planning board would decide that this would make Santa Fe more attractive to the traveler with money to spend is just, it's just bewildering. Do they think they can't tell the difference? Maybe they can't. Maybe they can't. Maybe that's the issue. It's us. Now and then I'll get some pushback. It's usually from a, one of those guys you see getting the gallon jugs at Costco. The loafers and the the polo shirt. Who looks kind of like Joe Biden. Kind of almost dead, but sort of well-preserved. And with the Ray-Bans and the the face tuck things and everything. And this guy is usually married to the part-time yoga instructor with the unicorns on her shoulder blades. And it's like they've got a lot of differences, but at least on on QAnon, they agree, right? So (laughs) this guy will come up and introduce himself by saying the name of his real estate investment company or what have you and say, oh, you're always razzing the talents for having chains and things like that. That's just how it is. Well, in, in fact, those are decisions that towns can make. And I point them to the example of San Luis Obispo in California's uh, Central Coast region. They don't have fast food franchises. They don't have franchises. It's that yeah. simple. Yeah. Is yeah. You can't build those here. You can build them somewhere else. No one's depriving you of your rights. But here, the people who live here have voted for people who have made these rules so that they live in a place that doesn't look like every strip mall, big box part of town in every other part of the Southwest. 
What a, what a novel concept. You're a simple man from a, a, a simple place. What is it? It's Coolidge, right? Coolidge is where I, yeah. I mean, I, I was born in Chandler, East, East Valley. Where did you, know? you live the most, Coolidge or Chandler? Coolidge. Coolidge. Okay, yeah. so you're so you're Chandler born, Coolidge raised. Is that Coolidge. right? Coolidge raised. For our listeners who don't know the the the, the specifics of this area of Arizona between Phoenix and Tucson, these places are next to each other, right? Coolidge and and Chandler. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Separated by a a, a fairly vast uh, reservation. Um. But yeah. About, about 45 minutes south. I did see recently Coolidge referred to as the East Valley in a uh, news story that you might have seen in the New York Times about a young man from Coolidge who faked his own kidnapping to not have to go to his job at the tire factory, which uh, oh, I, do I think is, I, I've, I found it wonderful and, and remarkable. But yeah, they referred to Coolidge as the East Valley, and I, I felt like there needed to be some sort of that I, I wasn't prepared to suggest the, that the sprawl had now encompassed most of the state like that. There's a county line dividing Coolidge and other East Valley places. But yeah, it's not far. It's not far. But we moved down there. Being a small place that's next to the small town Florence, and it's near Casa Grande. And, uh, My grandpa yeah. had an ex-wife in Florence once. Florence is a Florence is a like all these places. I can tell you things I love about them. I can tell you things I hate. About I don't remember much more about Florence other than the old kind of forties white wood siding house, the kind of houses they used to build in Arizona yeah. long ago. And then about two blocks away, the 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 dive bar where my grandpa would go after about an hour there. Coolidge is Coolidge, Florence, Casa Grande, all these small little Randolph was a place out there. Uh, Eleven Mile Corner, Arizona City, all these little spots that kind of dot the whole area. I, I think we, we should get audacity. the guy on the on the radio show. Maybe he probably want to show up, but we could try. <laughs> I mean, he's he's got problems. He gets he gets abducted. Time gets away from him, and uh, yeah, I, I will. Uh, I think the fair folk took him. I think that's what it was. It happens. I think that's what the, the the creatures that live on the edge of human imagination. You know. <laughs> I was reading something that didn't have anything to do with with work or a folklore collection that was put together by a, a Oxford doctorate student a century plus 20 years ago and I was going through the introduction speaking of these entities that might abduct one and I was shocked to find that in this introduction was a reference to the invisible people of Yosemite Valley hmm yeah I don't know. I don't mean I don't know much about those myths, but it seems like pretty much everybody's got some. Everybody's got myths about this. These these folk. Yeah, yeah. And this is. I mean, it, this is one I've spent a lot of time in Yosemite. Granted, the valley less than the High Sierra up the desert entrance from the Eastern Sierra side. I'm gonna have to investigate this. I think this falls under the topic I'm allowed to cover. Um, Jason, before I let you go, and by the way, if you're if you're just tuning in and wondering what happened, this is Desert Oracle Radio. We've been speaking with Jason P. Woodbury, who 
we hear on this program occasionally. We haven't had you on for a while, but who you can hear regularly on the Aquarium Drunkard brand of podcast and musical shows, which you can find at AquariumDrunkard.com or find Jason P. Woodbury on Twitter. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this is Desert Oracle broadcasting from Joshua Tree, California. Soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Visit us online at desertoracle.com. And good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>